Hey there, welcome to Incorruptible Massachusetts. Our goal here is to help people understand state politics, to investigate why it is so broken, to imagine what we could have here in Massachusetts if we fixed it, and uh, to report on how you can get involved. I am, as always, joined by my inimitable co-hosts, uh, Jordan Berg-Powers. you want to introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Jordan Burke Powers. I use he, him, and I have 11 years experience in progressive politics in Massachusetts. Jonathan Cohn. Uh, Jonathan Cohn, also he, him, based out of Boston and have eight years. And I'll be my experience with progressive issue and electoral advocacy here. And I'll be, we're, we're nearing the eight year anniversary of my moving here. All right. August 1st. Um, and I am Anna Callahan from Medford, she, her, um, and, uh, you know, been, been around doing some state level stuff for a couple of years at least. So uh, today we are going to talk about progressive revenue. Um, but before we do that, we're going to uh, remind you all that we are going to be doing a live broadcast of the podcast this Saturday. July 24th at 11 a.m. on the Boston Common. Uh, it's going to be super fun. And just uh, to let you know how fun it's going to be, we are going to have a limerick contest on Twitter. Um, we hope you'll all uh, join in. It's pretty fun. Um, if you want to have your limerick read on air on Saturday, then uh, you can just tweet it out with the hashtag um, I am July 24, and we will put that uh, out on Twitter so you know. Um, I'm just going to go ahead and read one that we wrote in like five minutes with some of my volunteers from Incorruptible Mass. Um, so here goes our first limerick. My bill just went into committee. We all know it's going to be shitty. We can't see their votes or even the notes. It will never get passed. What a pity. <laughs> So, uh, you know, it doesn't take but five minutes to write one of these, probably less. That was maybe two minutes. Um, and uh, it's pretty fun. So we look forward to hearing what you have to say on that point. And by the way, any, um, any short poem in any language is also uh, invited. We would love to hear those as well. Okay, so first of all, I, I wanna, we're gonna kick this off by mentioning the fact that there is a three and a half trillion dollar infrastructure bill at the national level. It has a lot of things in it um, and uh, you know, some great stuff, uh, pre-K, um, personal time off. Uh, they, they tried to fit in the, um, the PRO Act. There are a lot of things, a ton of things trying to fit into this bill. Um, and, uh, and what's probably gonna kill most of those things is pay fors. And you know, at the national level, when you are the, the, the part of the government that literally creates all dollars that exist in the world, there is no reason for pay force. No reason for pay force. Um, you guys have, a, have any thoughts on this? It reminds me on the federal level, it's always funny to me when politicians start talking about the deficit because anybody, no, Anytime any politician invokes the deficit, it's always as a smokescreen to talk about whether or not they want something. You never talk about the deficit if you want something. If you're most politicians who are perfectly happy to spend like large sums of money on, on weapon systems that don't even work, will never invoke the deficit as a consideration of whether or not we can purchase additional weapon systems. But when it comes to things that might actually help ordinary people, do we really have the money? Uh, and so that's always just a, a very striking contrast 
And the other initial thing I'll comment from following kind of the recent debates is how just kind of pathetic it is to me that that part of the like that kind of mediocre bipartisan infrastructure deal is getting rocky because Republicans don't agree with the idea of using increased IRS enforcement of rich people <laughs> as a pay for. It's like you're just admitting that you support tax evasion by rich people. Yep. Got it. I mean, weapons and, and tax cuts for the rich are the typical ones that like, nobody ever asked how we're gonna pay for those. Exactly. I mean, it's it's also, I mean, we could, if people are really concerned about paying for things, then you would tax rich people, right? Like we could mm-hmm. figure out, it's not that complicated to figure out where the money is for all of these things <laughs> that we would like to spend it. It's going to, it's going into space right today with Jeff mm-hmm. Bezos and all these rich people. So like we could just tax, we could close all these loopholes tax rich people and then we would have money right like it's it's not that complicated at any level of government where we should be doing as more and more as more and more of our hard work and the time and hours that we put into the the economy gets siphoned off to rich people's bank accounts we know exactly where to go for the pay for (laughs) i love that framing of it it's like where is the money in the economy like it's a simple question the money in the economy is in the bank accounts of the uber wealthy so that's where we should tax it it reminds me of what it reminds me as well when thinking of even about to like tax and tax kind of taxation, tax enforcement stuff, is like you're trying to look after the missing money. Should we should we go to like people who are receiving government benefits and might have received slightly more, or the guy who just took a joyride into space? <laughs> yeah, right. And has paid less taxes. Exactly. Has paid less taxes. Maybe we should figure out where that where, where, what happened with that. Yeah. Oh it my is gosh. It, it is, I, I always, um, one of the things, because there was a big push in Massachusetts to try to go after poor people uh, for the so-called money that they were losing. Um, and one of the things I would tell people is I will take seriously that Massachusetts cares about its tax revenue. When it starts going to all the boardrooms of the tax breaks it gives to people and starts asking them to account for all the water bottles and all the things that they're doing with uh-huh. their money, right? Like all those tax cuts, when every single, when Fidelity's tax cut, when we start going, when we start knocking on Fidelity's door and the, you know, and Suzanne Bump uh-huh. does an audit of the money that we're giving to, to Fidelity that I will take seriously that they care about how our tax dollars are spent, but it's always poor people who well, they're just like, every dollar needs to be perfect. Let's So let's frame this conversation a little bit because we just mentioned that at the national level, like you don't gotta worry about how to pay for it. You really don't. And that's a whole different discussion that people get very into. Right now, what we wanna do is contrast uh, the state government from the national government. So our state cannot, print money. It does not create money. Like our state, just like any of us, just like a company um, has a budget and it has to bring in revenue if it wants to be able to pay for anything, for roads and bridges, for education, for, you know, all of the things that we pool our money for, um, that has to, that money has to come from somewhere. And so the question is like, how should we bring in more revenue for the state of Massachusetts. Yeah, I, I just want to say that like one of the things that drove me the most crazy about President Obama is he would say like the federal government has to live within its means. And I would be like the federal government, like you and I can't print money. We don't have a money machine, but you can like, that's a silly argument, but also like, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't pay cash for this house. Like I didn't balance my budget when I like every month, like every month I owe, I have this debt, right? So thing. And the state's the same that they, that the state, 
um, is the same in that way. It is like us, just as you said, Anna. It, it is, it has like, it has to either pay its debts, which it has a big debt load. We have a, we have a big debt load or it has to raise revenue, right? We got to figure out one way or another. And one of the things that I think people don't know about Massachusetts is we have this thing called a structural deficit, which is that we take in less revenue than we purport to spend. So what does that mean? It means we say as a community, we think that these things are worthwhile making sure the homeless can be housed, making sure we feed people, making sure poor people don't starve on the street, making sure we're doing things with our schools. And the money, the revenue we bring in is less than the things that we have made promises to people, mm -hmm. right? We count on people not accessing benefits. We count on mm -hmm. people not using the full things that they're entitled to, to be able to balance budgets or we borrow money. Right, like that's an unsustainable. It's it's a terrible way to run it. But we have a structural deficit, whereas that we take in less than we than we should be spending. That we and, promise people would spend on them. And this is a decision that our state reps make year after year. Yes, yeah. And and a few years ago, I don't know what the structural deficit is now. A few years ago, it was one point three billion. So we were, we were just you know we were spending way. We we promise people things, but we can't deliver. And I would add, when thinking about the state, that, that I think is always surprising to people when you remind them of it, is how Massachusetts has a constitutional flat tax. Mm. So we recognize that about that flat taxes are a, ter are about a terrible idea. Like who was the um, nine, nine, the- um, Herman Cain. Herman Cain, nine, nine, like nine. the nine, 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 right? Of basically having like a flat 9% tax, right? We recognize that that, that whenever we see discussion on the federal level of a flat tax, we'll recognize that's terrible. That's terribly regressive. Uh, we need, because we've long since had a graduated federal income tax. But in Massachusetts, we still have, because of what happened a hundred years ago when they authorized the existence of income taxes at all and chose to, chose to leave out any type of graduation for it, we have a, we have a constitutional flat tax. And there are, there are over 30 other states that have progressive taxes. Yeah, and their state revenue, right? So this is and this is on income, you know, not to mention how, um, you know, also uh, we just don't, we, we like this is also income, right? We're not even talking about wealth, you know, which is another way that people generate. Mm -hmm. things. So it is, it is bonkers. We think of Massachusetts as a progressive state, but we have a regressive taxation system. You know, the more that you have, the less we ask of you. What is it? Like, think about that. Think about that for a second. You're a poor person. We ask more of you. The state requires you to give in more than somebody who has plenty that's overabundant, right? We're asking less of that person, um, even though they require more of, of the services. They require more of the protection, right? The protection goes for them to protect their wealth, their privilege, those things. Mm -hmm. They, you know, they use more resources. They use more roads for whatever. They use more infrastructure. They use more electricity, right? The things that generate income for them, they require more services than we do. And yet they pay less of it. I was just talking to somebody on the phone who said, oh, but isn't Massachusetts doing a lot better than most other states? And like, we, no, <laughs> we, we are not. In fact, even our capital gains taxes, when you talk about, you know, income tax and, and you're mentioning wealth tax, well, wow, that, that would be a dream. But capital gains tax, this is, these are, this is income people earn, people bring in that that is not earned. It is income that people are not working for. They don't have to spend a minute. It happens while they're sleeping. And we have very low taxes on that income. 
We allow wealthy people to simply just get wealthier with without uh, taxing them in the way that other states do. And Jonathan, you had a great, um, you, you know, you were talking about the, the different percent of income. Yes, this was this great graphic from Mass Budget, shout out Mass Budget from 2018, where they look at the percentage of personal income paid in state and local taxes uh, by, by different income brackets. And by their calculations, um, which I think they credit the, the information for, to the Institute for Taxation and Economic Policy, finds that the bottom 20% of Massachusetts of, ta of taxpayers' residents uh, pay about 10% of their, of their total income in state and local taxes. And that's a mix of sales and excise taxes, property taxes, and income taxes. And the top 1% could be people making more than $680,000 in that year, 6.8%. So they actually pay a smaller share of their total income in taxes, which is, which is striking when you realize that because such a thing, because when we have that flat, that combination of a flat income tax rate, as well as kind of the way that, the way that kind of property taxes and sales taxes will hit people on the lower end more, we're letting, we're letting that, that top 1% get away with a lot uh, and get away with paying kind of a lot less than they really should in the state. It also reminds me of, it's just been just, a, like, although, We'll be having a, a slightly more graduated system, fingers crossed, if the fair share amendment passes next year on the ballot um, to have a 4% surtax on income above a million dollars. But it's been just, and, it, and it's good that the legislature made the right call about putting that on the ballot, but it's, but it's been disappointing to see the legislature in recent years reject efforts to tax un unearned income more yep. because Unearned income is predominantly something just for the highest tax brackets. There's another thing from just last year from Mass Budget that noted if we raise the, the tax on unearned income to 9%, that's not really affecting anyone in the, anyone in the bottom 80% of, uh, uh, of earners in the state. Because it's like, it was funny to watch legislators talk about the need to protect like basically to protect the working, no, let's say the working, the working class people who have like that much money in capital gains income in Massachusetts. <laughs> mm -hmm. This is, a, this is kind of a legislating thing, right? <laughs> this is like right? yeah. those weird convoluted uh, illogical pieces of logic that they use to try and defend their positions. On yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, and, and I think let's just talk about what that feels like for most people. So in Massachusetts, you know, regular people feel overtaxed, even as actually Massachusetts has moved away from the so-called Taxachusetts and moved right into the middle of taxation. And the reason is that for regular people, especially people who are struggling, Massachusetts acts, asks more of them than we do mm -hmm. rich people, right? So the, so the burden of keeping the state afloat is on the backs of people who can least afford it. I mean, think about it. that's like such a bonkers thing. And so there, and that's where a lot of that mistrust, that frustration, that feeling like people are getting one over you comes from. It comes from that direct feeling that people that people who are get, can afford to do space as fun get to do whatever they want. <laughs> and regular people are struggling to figure out how to pay next how to pay their next bill and the government is 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 feeing them to death right we have a fee for this we have a fee for that we have a fee for this mm -hmm. um you know in my dream like we're we're not just having progressive taxation for income like your speeding ticket should be progressive 
Mm-hmm. Your, nice. your, you know, the, 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 the things that you do and there's, and there are countries that do this, right? Like the more like you Finland? have Finland, I think it is. Yeah. So the more that you have, the more that you should pay into the system, right? Like somebody who gets a ticket who can afford it should pay more than somebody who can't, right? Like there are ways, you know, we, there are people who get caught in the criminal justice system because of fees, Right? Like yeah. This is a system of oppression that people put in and we should make all of those progressive. It should be based on what you can afford. And you mentioned fees and I want to bring up uh, public banking. So people, this is, it's kind of a wonky subject, I know, but um, basically if you think about your city and all the potholes there are and all of the projects the city wants to do, you know, what normally happens is cities will go to Wall Street, they'll go to Wall Street banks, they will borrow millions of dollars. And in order to borrow that money, they got to pay millions of dollars in fees and interest. Millions. Mm-hmm. And that money is leaving the state. That is our money. That is just getting, like, they're getting raked. We are getting raked over the coals because they can, because these cities can't go anywhere else. Um, and so millions of our tax dollars are just, our municipal tax dollars are just being sent away into Wall Street banks and into the pockets of the uber wealthy. Um, Whereas our state legislature refuses to pass a public, to enact a public bank. And basically it's a no brainer. All that would do is save all of our cities and towns millions of dollars. That's all. There's no, there's no real downside to having a public bank. And yet they will not pass that we i had a whole podcast on it you know in season one if you want to go back and figure out why but this is another piece of that puzzle but like we should not be allowing that transfer of money up just a quick thing back to the point about finland i was just fact checking that and finland does have that from a from a 2015 article in the atlantic um Notes about the fund was so extreme because in Finland, some traffic fines as well as fines for shoplifting and violating securities exchange laws are assessed based on earnings. Um, Exorbitant fines like this are infrequent but not unheard of. In 2002, a Nokia executive was fined the equivalent of $103,000 for going 45 in a 30 zone on his motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, and we think that's a lot, but we think that's a lot, but that's pocket change for him. Exactly, but like that's the thing that if you think about that, if somebody, if a regular person might get like a hundred dollar fine, that actually would be heavily about equivalent in, in, in impact on income for them at, as his a hundred thousand dollar fine. Mm-hmm. Yep. I just want to say again that uh, I listened to that podcast about the public bank and I just cannot encourage it enough. A public bank is one of the most important things that we could do as a state economically. There's just also really fun things we could do. Like we could give the benefit of the money back to tax tax to residents in Massachusetts. Like, you know, a lot of times it goes back into the bank, but there's no reason we don't give that out as a dividend to publicly to, to, to citizens, right? Like there is, I mean, like to people who live like in Alaska, right? So there's so many things, right? Imagine if your tax dollars went to pay for the roads and the bridges and the stuff in the town. And then and they financed that through the public bank, and then the benefit of that went back to you. That's a system that we could do tomorrow. Like it's not, it's done in other places. I think North Dakota has a public yeah. bank. We could do it tomorrow um, if the legislature were serious about caring for regular people. That's great. And I'm, let me bring up one more. I'm just going through my my pet my pet policies, right? You know, we pass a Medicare for all style single payer system here in Massachusetts. 
Um, and I was uh, just kind of looking at the, the stats. There was a, a great study done and it would save um, about 15, over 15% 15 of our current spending on healthcare in the state. It would save $21 billion. I believe that's over 10 years, but don't quote me on that. Um, so people, people ask like, oh, well, you know, how can you pay for it? You know, how, that, that's, that's pie in the sky. It is not, it, it's not only something that would benefit every person in Massachusetts um, to be able to go to the doctor. Imagine going to the doctor and never having to worry about paying a bill, never. And having all your medical expenses completely regular and lower than what you're paying now. That mm -hmm. is what that solution is. And it would save our state money. Our state government would also save money. I mean, it is a total no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, just to think about all your, um, again, where we're spending, you know, Unlike, you know, whenever we do spending uh, as a state or think about spending as a country on education, the part that we always miss is we just do total dollars, but a good percentage anywhere, depending on the study, you see 20 to 40% of the dollars we spend on education goes to private health insurance companies, right? Mm -hmm. We're paying for healthcare for teachers. Mm -hmm. So think about this. So like, we don't, like, we think of it as dollars spent in the classroom, but that's not right. When you take out healthcare spending, we're spending like a you know not much better than a developing country on education. If you think about all the money that gets siphoned off to things that aren't actually helpful to kids, now a healthy teacher is help, helpful to kids. I guess I should re reframe that. But if we had single payer, that's a that is a cost that would come out of your municipal government, would come out of our mm -hmm. state government, out of our federal government, and go to where it belongs. And it would obviously lower the cost, as Anna has said, because we would be spending less and, and less going to all the ways that we misspend on, on health insurance, um, as well as having outcomes that you know would be better. Like when you got sick, you could go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. Imagine. <laughs> all right, what are, what are some of your other... Um, pet revenue dreams, things we should already be doing. If only our state legislature like actually I mean, cared about, about us. One quick thing I'll just give a quick shout out to that's, that's had some organizing locally on and the state needs to effectively authorize municipalities ability to do it is taxing high-end real estate transactions. Oh yeah. Because that would yeah. be a, way, a good way of raising money for affordable housing. And, and, and help to curb speculation happening in some of the higher, kind of the higher end real estate markets in the state. Mm -hmm. Like I can just see out of my, out of my window, like the one Dalton project in Back Bay, which like, I don't know how many of those are not just like investment properties for people who don't live yep. here. Which is the other thing that we can't, that you can't do, but should be able to do, which is tax, re tax, there, there should be an occupancy tax. Yeah. You should just, we should just tax at 90% or 99% um, apartments, condos, things that are left empty, right? Like, you're like if they're just sitting around, you know, that's, it or hurts fill us all. People. Well, that's the, that's what it would do. It would force you to fill with people, right? Like it would take those rental, those, those places that are just left empty and force people to occupy them with someone, right? So it doesn't mean that you can't rent out. It just means that like, you can't leave it empty for the purposes of leaving it empty as an investment property, which is what a lot of happens downtown. It's just places to sit money. They don't even care if they lose money on it because it's safer than whatever government <laughs> they're trying to hide the money from. Yeah, uh, there is so much we could be doing to tax people who have a much, I'll just say the last one for me is, is um, 
is corporations themselves. So there's a few things that we do poorly around taxing corporations. The first is we also have sort of a flat tax on corporations and there is a minimum tax that you're supposed to pay. That's like, I think it's just a couple hundred dollars is nothing. Yeah. Um, and Thanks. yeah, and we could, we could make that, we could one, we could make that uh, based on your profits we could, we could tier it. So we could, so if you had lots of profits, we could ensure that you're paying a minimum tax to Massachusetts uh, to say like, it doesn't matter how many loopholes you have. It doesn't matter how well you try to get your fee down. You have to pay this no matter what. And we could lower, we could keep it the same for small businesses who we obviously think we want to support and be support, uh, be helping and protecting. Uh, and then the other thing we could be doing is just generally taxing profits of corporations here in Massachusetts a little bit better. Instead, we continue to give tax cuts to them. Again, Massachusetts passed a tax cut that the federal government was like, wow, that's a tax, like even Trump's Trump tax cuts were like, this is too bonkers for us. We will, we are gonna raise taxes on this. And Massachusetts was like, no, eh, let's lower the taxes on that. Our Democrats were to the right of Trump on taxing corporations, if you ever wanna know like how bonkers our state is. So like, there's just no tax cut for, for like corporations that this state won't give away. Um, and meanwhile, like other places were just, you know, like even Trump's federal government is like, this is extreme. <laughs> like we gotta rein this in. Um, and so like, that's just a place like we really don't, you know, whatever we think about, whenever we try to tax corporations, they always trot out these small businesses. And one of the things I think progressives as a move, as we as a movement have done poorly is we we really haven't separated small businesses from large corporations. And like, they have nothing in common with each other. They have no shared interests. And if anything, they are an impediment to your survival, right? Like mm. Walmart and, and and all of these places want to crush those small businesses. So yes. we, you know, we have a vested interest mm -hmm. in, prote in protecting them more so than any of the, any than the chamber of commerce, which does not care about them, mm -hmm. does not, will never advocate for them. Um, and so that's just a place that we should be separating people. And one of the ways we can make our values clear is through taxation. Right, we should make clear if you make a certain amount of profits, you pay more. End of story. I love it. I think um, I think this is you know we've we kind of scratched the surface here of uh, how much our state is not doing what we need it to do. Um, so thank you so much. I hope that we see everybody live in person on July twenty fourth this upcoming Saturday at eleven o'clock on the Common. We'd love to see you there. Till next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.